most of the time, I don't believe we find our purpose in life. Most often, our purpose will go to great lengths to find us. And we can, of course, do our very best to ignore the call, the pull, the whispers towards leaning into what may bring us closest to aliveness in this life on earth. But all the same, when most of us dig under the surface, whether we like it or not, we will have a sense of what our heart yearns for us, even if we laugh it off or push it down. So what if your soul is keeping you awake at night with all it foresees for your creative work in the world? And what if it terrifies you more than exhilarates you? Not just because it demands you go all in and shake up your life in big ways, but maybe even because the pull of your soul work feels deeper and riskier than most. Maybe it's countercultural or drenched in social stigma, and you know that answering the call is a big deal and requires courage. Today, we're talking all about what it means to lean into our risky, creative callings and the ways in which you may be sabotaging your soul work even when you think you're answering the call. Welcome to the Sensual Alchemy School podcast where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive, and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper, and I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome back, dear ones. You know, if a decade ago, you'd have said that I'd be working with creative women leaders through embodied movement and expression and healing, I'd have thought it a stretch for sure, but intuitively, I'd have been on board with it. It would have felt aligned in some way because I had naturally gravitated to those things since childhood. I was always the kid playing the teacher. I'm a Pisces sun and Enneagram too. So helping and being of service has always felt right and good to me. I've been obsessed with dance and theater since exiting the womb and I've always enjoyed being in leadership roles with teams and looking for creative, innovative new ways to face challenges. It is a fact that in my 20s and early 30s, I totally abandoned my creative impulses. Firstly, by throwing myself into academia and then mothering, but my true creative desires, even if unformed, were simmering under the surface, just waiting for permission to get out. But the part that would have made my eyes bulge out of my head in disbelief, the fact that my creative soul work is rooted firstly in the complex, messy landscape of grief and in the delicious realms of sensuality and pleasure. I mean, a decade ago, I'm not sure I would have been able to even compute that these things could go together in the first place. 
But I suppose I mostly would never have imagined that my life would lead me down this path. So today I'm really interested in speaking to some of the resistance and barriers that I had when my soul's work came calling. And because so many women in my orbit find themselves in a similar place, I'm going to tease apart what I see amongst incredible women who feel pulled towards a path of healing, helping, teaching, coaching, or leading others sometimes a path they never would have imagined for themselves if it weren't for the emerging twists and turns that their life has delivered along the way. I think it's helpful to lens this conversation, firstly within a relevant social frame that takes into consideration that structural and systemic barriers that restrict women and mothers from going all in are very real when it comes to what sets their hearts alight. You know, there are very real reasons why many women just don't move forth. And it's important to acknowledge these legitimate barriers when it comes to women pursuing their deepest longings and creative desires. I cannot stand the rhetoric in the coaching industry and the entrepreneurial spaces for that matter, that talk about not following your dreams as being a mindset problem or my favorite, joking, just playing small. You know, if someone doesn't feel safe or able to go all in with a creative project or a venture driven by passion and purpose. And to me, this kind of rhetoric is wildly irresponsible and it's utterly wrong in most cases. In my leadership work with exceptionally capable, creative and innovative women, 99% of the time, their skills and their ability to bring a vision to life is second to none. Yet, despite the brilliance of these women, their struggle is in feeling safe and supported to do so. And I get it. I really do. And we need to understand that a body under threat that has a diminished capacity due to things like mothering young children, you know, sometimes with irregular or very limited support or with health issues, financial pressures, partner pressures, and simply the pressure of learning new skills in a new environment is not yet in a position to thrive. So I feel we need to be upfront about this now. I'm not about to babble on about what women are doing to themselves to screw up their own success. I'm not about to shame women into believing that they are ever deficient. Encouraging women to push and create in survival mode so not to let their soul work down is A, a gross capitalist move promoting the false message that women not only have to have all their ducks in a row at home, but they also have to claim success for themselves in their career simultaneously. (laughs) And B, is a surefire way to lead to burnout and becoming disillusioned by those things that actually give women life. And something else I want to be clear about here is that when I speak to creative feminine leadership, I'm not talking about business. This is not a business podcast and I am not a business expert. I'm interested in what makes a leader and the type of women leaders our families and communities need at this time in history. 
I'm interested in looking at how we've been taught to understand leadership in the context of patriarchy and the fact that despite the ways in which women at a deep level often operate in different ways when it comes to creativity, innovation, collaboration, expression, power, and dissemination of resources, for example. We are programmed to perceive leaders and leadership through a very limited masculine dominant lens and aspire mostly unconsciously to mold ourselves into that framework. So if you're a creative woman, and or an entrepreneur or business owner or you're in a leadership position in a traditionally masculine environment, then welcome. And yes, I hope you find something helpful in this conversation today. But if you're a woman who is wholly and solely devoted to mothering right now or you're studying or you're working somewhere that pays the bills and you also feel the call of your soul's work outside of having to make a career of it, then this is still 100% for you too. If you're here listening to a podcast about grief and pleasure, then suffice to say, you're leading the way in simply becoming more human, more expressed, more available to a life of fullness and vitality. And that's what I'm speaking about today when I refer to leaning into your creative soul work with courage. Okay, so self-sabotage. Where and how does this play out? Now that we've made a little bit of space to acknowledge the very real lack of safety women can feel in pursuing their desires beyond the imagination, what tendencies do we still have even when our greater safety concerns are tended to? Now, I'm going to explore three specific self-sabotaging patterns that aren't necessarily what you might expect. And self-help culture likes to highlight mindset issues or a lack of discipline or routine or imposter syndrome, all of these things that, yeah, sure, they can absolutely play a role. I want to examine some factors that are less known and yet really, really significant, not just in the context of entrepreneurial or career success, like I said, but in the context of our soul work, the calling of the inner creatrix and our longing to serve and contribute meaningfully to the world. All right, so number one, the number one self-sabotaging that many of us do when it comes to our soul work is reflexively dilute our creative vision. So what is this about, this reflex? You know, I've learned that it's an unconscious tendency that is triggered when our desires feel too strong, too clear, or too potent. And look, sometimes this kind of happens when we've all of a sudden bloomed through uh, a, a stage of numbness and actually not really being able to feel our desires at all. And all of a sudden we're a little more sensitized to them and it's like, holy shit, <laughs> this is a lot. You know, to the point it might even um, excite us or enliven us too much. And so we instinctively contract at the overwhelm at just the prospect of doing the thing before we allow ourselves to be and hold the vision first. 
Now, there's kind of two parts to this. And I think firstly, I want to mention that around here, you will hear me say constantly how essential it is to give ourselves full permission to go slow. Now, this means feeling the charge of your soul work calling and yet acknowledging that actually there's no rush. This can be an unfolding that happens over time and you can trust in it. Then I am here for that. I celebrate that. Most of us require a slow, gentle, and respectful approach to moving towards following our desires. We are literally talking about repatterning our nervous system and rewiring the blueprints that have been passed down through generations, often in our matrilineage, the scripts that tell us what we are or are not worthy of when it comes to success, achievement, visibility, creativity, and leadership. My mantra at Sensual Alchemy School is luxuriate in the slow, seductive burn of the creative feminine. And look, that's a pretty sexy catchphrase, right? But it's not just that. This is a huge part of the how-to when making shifts in your embodied capacity as a visionary, aspirational woman that honours the evolution and the maturation of your leadership. We'll get into that a little more later on this episode, but the number one self-sabotage that I'm really speaking about here around diluting your vision is not to do with taking it slow and putting it off or cycling back to it. I don't believe these are inherently problems, although our culture may disagree. No, I'm talking about something that I personally know well. Diluting a creative vision is around doing these kind of things censoring what you really want to say or sweetening it up or making it just a little more palatable. It's not asking for the collaboration that you really would love to be involved in or not being crystal clear about how you can support others and the very pragmatic steps around what they need to do if they want to join you or work with you. It's around bobbing off your soul work as just a hobby or almost apologizing for it in case other people don't get it. And as a caveat here, your soul work might actually be a hobby and that's bloody tremendous. And you sure as hell don't need to monetize anything for it to be soul work. But if you know in your bones that you're not playing when it comes to moving towards your desires and you still shrink back and dismiss the significance of what you vision and what you're actually making money doing, then there's something entirely different going on here. And finally, one of the most devastating ways that women will dilute a vision is to follow a formula or package it up in a way that we see it working for others and in ways that we're sold to believe is best. And in doing so, strip the magic from our own very unique creativity and expression. I look back at some of the ways that I used to try and squeeze my inspiration and my own wisdom into these pre-made formulas and then wonder why it felt vanilla all of a sudden and it wasn't landing in the way I'd envisioned or I'd felt possible when it was all moving through me organically at the beginning before I'd looked outside myself for someone to tell me how to share it with the world. And 
This, I think, has been one of the most powerful evolutions in my own service to creative women leaders. This intentional process of continually checking in to how my soul work wants to be known. And even if it feels terrifyingly daunting or even a bit left of field, really practicing the cultivation of trust that this is how it needs to go. And yes, it takes time to build that confidence. And it is a practice. You know, you don't just wake up feeling that way. Well, most of us don't anyway. So what is really at the heart of this dilution of potency? It can be a number of things, but ultimately what I witness is fear of what it means to follow a creative impulse in its unapologetic glory. Who am I if I pursue this? If I'm visible in this? And what am I shaking up here? And can I handle the ramifications of that? These are the questions that run through so many minds of women when they come to that place of really yearning to follow their creative impulse. Now, we're moving into number two here, really. So I'll I'll frame it a little more explicitly. The second way we can really sabotage our response to the call of our soul work is this overriding capacity. So I hinted to this above when I spoke to how important it is to go slow and steady, particularly when a creative calling is moving us away from our habitual comfort zone or it's in new territory somehow. Now, firstly, what does it mean to override our capacity? At Sensual Alchemy School, we're concerned with holding the utmost respect for our nervous systems and the current scope of our emotional world and all within the context of our life situation and how safe and resourced we feel at any given time. With all these things taken into consideration, it's my belief that leadership work then really does need to be redefined, particularly women's leadership. Because I don't know about you, but as the primary carer of three daughters under nine, with a marriage to keep alive and well and a business to tend to, all within a cultural frame that prizes hustle over rest, intellect over intuition, money over relationships and perfection over what's raw and real. I'm going to say that what we tend to associate with strong leadership in this model is 100% about overriding nervous system capacity, overriding emotional capacity, overriding our logistical capacity and pretty much every other capacity you can think of. Our current leadership models don't give many fucks at all about what it means to feel safe, secure and resourced in our bodies, which is entirely maddening considering how much more effective all humans are in all aspects of leadership, in parenting, relationships, in in our careers, you know, when we're functioning in full respect to our experience of being alive in our body. I mean, it's just backwards, this kind of insidious programming. I'm so passionate about firstly understanding and interpreting this in my own behavior and those I love and work with 
And also unlearning and disrupting this programming as an act of embodied resistance, particularly among creative visionary women who are literally, as far as I see it, the ones who will turn this ship around. Because the statistical reality is that you, my love, a highly intelligent, visionary, wise, innovative woman of integrity called into exciting soul work with all the makings of an incredible leader will likely burn the hell out before you're able to see your vision made manifest if you don't begin to both honour your capacity and devote the energy to expanding it rather than pushing beyond it. So how do we do this? How do we honour and expand our capacity so we don't sabotage our creative visions and our delicious soul work? Well, I work very specifically in the realms of grief and pleasure. So where, yes, the answer might be therapy. It might be prioritising your physical health and wellness. It might be engaging external support by way of childcare. And it might be all of the above. And what I believe in wholeheartedly as a vital ingredient for creative women leaders stepping into their soul work is getting honest about your unexpressed grief and your unaccessed pleasure. Because these two areas will, if unattended, control and limit your capacity, whether you like it or not. You can be the fittest, healthiest, most natural woman on the planet and be riddled with grief over many unacknowledged losses. And this will be operating in the background, narrating your decisions, your sense of worthiness, your ability to express freely. You can have all the money and external comforts in the world and even a somewhat harmonious relationship. And yet, if pleasure for you is shrouded in guilt, obligation, codependency, or you loathe your body, then you will always feel like you're broken. Your creativity will suffer. Your potential for intimacy and vulnerability will feel really challenging. And there's so much more to this. So if you're new to the podcast, be sure to check out earlier episodes where I break down the relationship between grief and pleasure embodiment a lot more. However, when we're talking about how to begin to expand our capacity to move towards our soul work, if we're done living a life that feels like it's crushing our soul instead, then the sensual alchemy method of embodiment is such a glorious way to make space for all the good stuff. I think the final thing to emphasize here is what I alluded to in number one, which is about how to nurture and internally calibrate to our soul work from the inside out. And this is to differentiate between an intellectual, organizational approach to moving forward with a project or a goal or an aspiration, right? We're usually taught that to achieve an outcome, we must develop a plan and that this plan must immediately consist of lists and steps leading to a clear success marker. I think we can often fool ourselves into thinking we're actually making headway with things when we set these linear processes for ourselves. But these processes are often just moving through the motions. And underneath it all, we're not actually being resourced or shifting or expanding or alchemizing anything internally. When we commune with our soul work at Sensual Alchemy School, where we absolutely delight in big, bold visions, we are not 
initially interested in the nuts and bolts of a success pathway. Instead, Creative feminine leadership appreciates that the essence and energy of what we feel called to bring to life must be slowly and curiously built out with our attention through our senses and in relationship to our creative impulse. And also because we're here to honor the change-making qualities of our personal and collective grief and really hear the wisdom of that through our bodies, we don't just whack Step one, process our loss as a number on a list. Now, our evolution into leadership, into this area, must be held with reverence by our own hearts and also the hearts of others. There are ritual and ceremonial aspects. There are lots of embodied imaginings and opportunities for expression without having to clutch onto that or publicize it or get it out and and be received by anyone. We are literally reorienting our whole system to new ways of being before anything concrete happens. And this is where the magic occurs. This is where we begin to cease overriding our capacity and create a whole new capacity with so much more delicious flow. Okay, so now we've arrived at the third way that we sabotage our soul work. This seems really silly and simple as I say it, but actually it's the most common really. We simply ignore it is number three. We don't acknowledge it or we entertain it more like a wistful dream. And that can also look like carrying on doing something else that we know we're really, really good at and yet we deny the thing that we really, really want to do, to be, to learn, to express, you name it. And for most of you listening, you know, you're here, the the podcast is all about leadership and soul work this episode and I'm wondering if it might be more about the latter So even if you are engaged in creative leadership in some way, or you are already in a service-based role that allows you the privilege of helping, healing, educating others, or you're an entrepreneur doing something you're passionate about, or you once were passionate about, are you listening to how your life is reshaping you? Are you honoring the pulse of aliveness, whether it be loss or longing, and allowing it to move you? I think so often we find ourselves in these prisons of our own making, often dictated by really old and irrelevant stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. And of course, like I emphasized at the beginning of the episode, in many instances, safety and security must come first. You know, this is in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is the base, all right? It has to happen first. But Within that and from that, where might we awaken to how we are abandoning our desires? Or even simpler, how are we abandoning our curiosities? For instance, you might be happy as Larry in your day job and have no intention of changing it, but you're aching to express all these other parts of yourself and be seen and received in that. This desire could be met by 
joining a theatre group or even a book club. Or maybe you feel an incessant pull towards being involved in something you care deeply about that allows you to tap into a corner of your soul that has been touched by pain in some way. Maybe there are charities you could become involved with or community events you could become active in. Now, all of this is soul work. All of this is creative feminine leadership, a way of interacting with the world through an emotionally intelligent, internally resourced framework that honors intimacy and expression. I think also there's a part here I want to touch on about why we ignore our soul work. And that has to do with our belief that others won't understand or respect it. To share my own experience with this, before I officially shifted my work in the direction of Sensual Alchemy School, I primarily worked with mothers in my therapy and coaching business. And I love, 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 and, you know, still would love this work. And yet there came a time about a year ago when I realized that who I was and the ways I'd been deeply changed by the events of my life, namely my sister's terminal illness and her death, my pregnancy loss and my own autoimmune health challenges had been reshaping me over time and had led me to see and feel my soul work differently. And so where I had established a beautiful body of work around mothering and supporting mothers and nurturers through embodied coaching and somatic therapy, my soul work had been tugging at me and building a presence within me gradually until I recognized I was no longer bringing the energy to my work that I used to. I didn't feel I was the best custodian of this work with mothers anymore. And yet the tricky part in my calibration process was that as the sensual alchemy work began to develop in my visions, in my embodied imagination, and then as I began to download and practically compile this really rich and meaty curriculum, all of a sudden I was like, shit, <laughs> what I'm doing here feels really big and statementy and possibly divisive. And it's very countercultural speaking about grief through the lens of pleasure and pleasure through the lens of grief. My ego actually began to wage this conflict within me, trying to convince me that people just won't get it. It will be too jarring and alienating. So where it would have been really easy to just let this story take over and let this strong desire to bring together these two worlds of grief and pleasure that apparently, as painted by society, stand in opposition, which spoiler alert, they don't, be hijacked by the fear that I'll put this statement work out in the world and be met by crickets or to my good girl complex, even worse, I'll have to defend it to those who don't understand it. I had a good thing going with my unsmothered framework and the diamond mother archetypes I created. And when I told a dear friend who is an incredible embodiment coach that I was being called into a new iteration of my soul work, I could see her kind of stunned that I was just able to walk away from what I'd created. But I think now she understands and others understand that where that work was born out of a deep set of values and a desire to work within a community that really matters to me, this creative calling is literally pouring out of my soul. It's like an entirely new language around grief work has been birthed from within me. 
And so if I wasn't well-practiced in meeting these erotic edges within myself, these super uncomfortable upgrades that happen when life is welcomed in such a way that invites a full body dialogue, as opposed to only a cognitive engagement, I would have perhaps just settled back into what I knew, what I was known for, and not move on something that felt really risky. And so the calibration towards this soul work until the opening of the Sensual Alchemy School of Grief and Pleasure asked me to really dive on into experiences with other women who were tapped into the same creative frequency and to really honour what wanted to come through. So I started writing more about my personal experience with grief and pleasure. I went into a serious study tunnel, wanting to get my hands on as much empirical research as I could find around how humans interact with and come into relationships with grief and pleasure and the various embodied paths that have been known to facilitate integration, healing and expansion in these areas. I went on a beautiful devotional dance retreat to create space to be in my body, to center my sensuality while in full reverence to my grief. I began to weave creative invitations in my client sessions that allowed them to express themselves in new and illuminating ways. And bit by bit, by talking about it, by creating about it, by prioritizing space to be curious about it and to actively connect with communities that would and do understand the paradox of this work, I began to build confidence from the inside out. Now, my loves, my soul work is exquisitely alive. I'm living and breathing it so deeply, even though I still have three little kids and only two full days in which to devote to the business side of things. It runs through my veins. My creative feminine leadership extends beyond the concept of the boardroom. It ripples through my family, through my friendships, through my professional peers. And I can tell you when you are willing to take the risk and not dilute your visions, to devote, to expand your capacity, to hold the boldness of your creativity and acknowledge the uncomfortable, risky nature of making a statement to the world where you could very easily and probably somewhat happily keep doing what you're doing. Purpose flows through you like a cool, clear stream. And it's not hard. Yes, of course, if you're hoping to earn a livelihood from your soul work, then sure, there will be some grind involved. But overall, there's an energy of resource and renewal that is available to you when creating from your deepest truth. It feels so nice to share where I've been this past year and where I am now with this work. And I know that there are some next level creative feminine leaders that listen to this pod and that you too are on the precipice of shifting gears, opening and expanding into new places and possibly territory that feels a little risky, a little edgy. So if this is you, I have an invitation for you. The past three years, I've offered an experience for creative women leaders that has naturally kind of reincarnated in form every year. And essentially, it's called Luminous. First year, it was the intimate Luminous Pleasure and Prosperity Coven. Then it was the Luminous Member Society after I had my third babe and I needed a more flexible model. This year, it has been the most wonderfully sumptuous Luminous Embodied Pleasure Pilgrimage. And though even though Luminous has shape-shifted with each playful iteration, cultivating deep somatic safety and liberating potent expression in the bodies of visionary creative feminine leaders has remained at its core. 
And this year, oh, it's ramping up. Or should I say down? Because Luminous 2023 is the layer of becoming a nine-month devotional descent into full-body leadership for creative women. I love saying that so much. Now, the official sales page is still coming together, but if you have a sense that Luminous might be the container for your next leadership evolution, you're invited to jump on the wait list now. And there's two reasons that I do that. Number one, there's only 11 spaces available. This is a very intimate, high-touch experience, and they will sell out. Enrollment will be open to those on the wait list in late January, okay? So the second reason to jump on the wait list is because you will get one week open to you of enrolling before everyone else where you will receive an immediate $1,000 discount off the early bird price even. So you will get a ridiculous discount if you are on that wait list and I open enrollment. So go ahead and do it. Uh, We will officially commence the journey, the nine-month journey on the 27th of Feb through the end of November. And it is an online experience. So no matter where you are in the world, you are welcome. However, just one of the bonuses I'm offering in this experience is a luxury in-person retreat on the gorgeous Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Now, it's not officially part of the Luminous nine months, but if you join the Creative Alliance in this nine-month experience, you can attend for zero dollars. Zero. So who's wanting to come to Australia? <laughs> All righty. So the link will be in the show notes to jump on the waitlist now or head straight to kateleeper.com slash luminous dash waitlist dash 2023. I am so excited. Oh, next year is feeling oh so magical already. So hit me up on the socials at kate.leeper if you have any questions, but otherwise, thank you so much for being here as always. Please share the Sensual Alchemy School goodness if you know someone who might be on the same page and I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leeper. I'd love to hear from you.